Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. We're going to have our Bible reading now, so if you like to turn to your Bibles, we do have Bibles on the aisle if you don't have one, and that is our gift to you today, if you'd like to take that home with you. So we're reading from 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12 today. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer great grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told, you Uh, you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thank you, Adam. Morning, everyone. What a great item that was. That was very powerful and great words and beautifully delivered. So thank you for that, Ian. That was great. Um, Before we get into the message today, just some exciting news. I had a text message this week and I'm going to get Rihanna to stand up in the front because she loves standing up at the front. She let, hey, you don't know what you're clapping for yet. Um, she got a new puppy. No, she didn't really. Um, this week she texted me just to let me know that she got engaged this week. So that's great news. So congratulations. Um, if you don't know Rihanna, please go and say congratulations after the service. If you do, make sure you do as well. Be praying for her and Andrew. When Andrew's back here next time, we'll get them at the front and, and pray for them then. So great news. It's great to hear about pending marriages. Today, the uh, theme of this, the message is pain. I just want to assure you that that's merely a coincidence and just get that clear from the very start today. Marriage is a wonderful thing. And so, enough said. My wife's not here today, so I could say more, um, but I'm choosing not to. Today, we're starting a new series 
that we'll be exploring for the next seven weeks. And we're going to be working our way through the letter of 1 Peter. You'll notice on the screen that we've called the series Aliens, which seems like a strange title for a sermon series, uh, particularly with my extreme dislike for sci-fi. This week, the title caused me to think about some painful experiences in my life. I remember when I was young, I fell off a flying fox and I broke my arm and my forearm went almost at right angles. I remember when I was a teenager, I got smashed in the face with a cricket ball and it shattered my cheekbone and gave me the biggest black eye you'll ever see. When I was a bit older, I was a tradesman. I shot a three-inch nail through my hand. And when I started at Beaconsfield Baptist Church as the associate pastor there, part of the initiation process was a tug-of-war at a church picnic, which resulted in me being knocked out and suffering second-degree burns when the rope snapped. <laughs> All of those experiences were incredibly painful. But as painful as those, those things were, they're nowhere near as painful as sitting through Star Trek. <laughs> and so you might think, why have we gone with a sci-fi kind of a title and called the series Aliens? Well, the reason is that 1 Peter, um, or Peter, who's revealed as the author in this letter, in verse 1 of the passage, is writing this letter to a group of people who felt like aliens and strangers in their culture. Verse 1 identifies the recipients. It says that it's written to people that were God's elect. Exiles, older versions of the NIV, say strangers in the world, who had been scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This letter was written in uh, the 60s, not when the Beatles were around. This is AD 60, uh, around about AD 62. And they've been scattered throughout the provinces of Rome as a result of extreme persecution. In that time, Christians were seen as people that were strange. Uh, not much different today. People still think we're a little bit odd, but they were seen as strange. And not only were they seen as strange, but they were seen as people who were in opposition to the Roman Empire. Therefore, the emperor and the officials were persecuting, um, killing, and torturing Christians in horrific ways. And so it was a very dangerous time in history to be a Christian, and the culture was very hostile towards Christianity. And so the letter, in contrast to that, is a very warm letter. It's a very encouraging and pastoral letter written by Peter to a group of people that he cared about, and he cared for them in the midst of their suffering. Peter reminds them of who they are, and what has been promised by God, so that as they get a picture of the glorious future they have in Christ, it may give them hope, and it may give them strength to stand through what they're going through in the present. In chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Dear friends, I write to you as aliens and strangers in the world. Now, I looked up the term aliens this week in the dictionary, and the first uh, definition is the one we most readily connect with. It says that aliens are a hypothetical or fictional being from another world. That does sound like some Christians that I know, um, but it's not the description that we're focusing on in this series. It's the first one you find in the dictionary, that an alien is a foreigner, especially one who is not a naturalized citizen of the country where he or she is living. A few weeks ago on the Today Show in the morning, I was watching an interview with a guy who is a former British sports presenter and now a conspiracy theorist. His name's David Ick. And he was on the panel to talk to the people on the Today Show because he just sold out a number of shows in Australia uh, where he speaks for 12 hours on all of these conspiracy theories. Uh, one of them is that the, our moon is a hollowed-out space station and another one is that aliens live amongst us. And so the, the hosts on the show were kind of taking the mickey out of him. And it's kind of not surprising to see why with some of his bizarre theories. But when he says that there are aliens amongst us, in one way I agree. 
Because Peter says, if you're a Christian, you are aliens and strangers in this world. And so today I want to get you involved. Are you ready to get involved? You awake? Anyone had their coffee this morning? Three people. Awesome. Okay, the rest of you, I'm going to wake you up. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to say these words. I want you to say, you're an alien. Excellent. Now turn to the person on the other side and say, you are an alien. Very good. You were just too enthusiastic about that. You've wondered about some people here, haven't you? You thought that person's like an alien. Now you know. They are an alien. It's kind of therapeutic to get it out there, isn't it? Uh, We're surrounded by a bunch of aliens here today. There are aliens amongst us. But we're aliens because we're not of this world and because we have a higher citizenship. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Most people have their minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we have and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is it to be a citizen? Well, to be a citizen is to find a place where you belong. It's to be in a place that you connect with. It's to be in a place that you call home. Most of us here today are um, citizens of Australia, and it's a beautiful place to live. But the Bible tells us that we are citizens of an even greater place than Australia. We're citizens of heaven. And so what Peter's saying is this, that if you're a Christian here today, there are going to be times in life where you feel like you just don't belong in this world. There's going to be times in your life where you feel um, incredibly out of place, radically different, and that's not a bad thing. And that's exactly the point that Peter's trying to make, that if you're a Christian, you live for someone, for something, and for somewhere greater than this. The Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What he's saying is this, that while he's here on earth, he's going to do everything he can to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to serve him. He's going to follow him. He's going to tell everyone about him. He's going to live his life for Jesus. But when he dies, he's not afraid of that because he's going to be even better off. He's going to be better off because he's going to find himself living in a place where his true citizenship lies. He's going to be in the presence of God in heaven. And it's quite a relief, really, isn't it? Because sometimes this life is awful. Sometimes this life is terrible. There are great moments in life. There's those mountaintop experiences that that are phenomenal and the things that make life great. But there are some pretty devastating valleys. There are some really difficult times in life. And if this is all we had, I think I'd be depressed. I'm just so glad that we have hope for something greater than this. That the pain and suffering that people experience that we go through ourselves is only temporary because we've been promised something so much greater when Jesus returns. Eternity with our Saviour. And so, the someone we live for this morning is Jesus. And the something we live for is relationship with God. And the somewhere we long for is heaven. And it says, the Bible says that God has set eternity in our hearts. And so no matter how amazing this life is, when you're getting engaged or having a child or going through phenomenal things in life, the truth is that it'll ultimately be disappointing because we actually long for something so much greater. And so even though we've got to enjoy and have joy in what we're going through in life, we're we're created for something much greater than this. And that's our hope as Christians. And in the first chapter and in the entire letter of 1 Peter, for these people suffering in many ways, this is critical to remember. And Peter reminds them of it on many occasions and in many ways, that in the midst of their pain and suffering that seems so unfair, so unjust, so wrong, so incredibly painful, and in the presence of hostility from the entire world around them, they can still have hope in the promises of God. In the last chapter of the letter, 
Paul gives us a reason for him writing this letter in chapter 5, verse 12. And he says, the reason he writes the letter is to remind them of God's grace so that they can stand firm in the midst of what they're going through. And so it was such a critical message that Peter was delivering to these people, but it's also a critical message for us. And the question we have to answer on a regular basis is how do we as Christians live in the midst of suffering in our lives and also in a culture that's becoming more and more hostile to the gospel? And so the title of today's message is Pain and Promise. And they are the two main themes that Peter explores in the first 12 verses of this letter. And so first of all, we're going to talk about pain. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? For the next three hours, I'm going to talk about pain. That would be painful. I won't be three hours, I promise. But for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about pain. And it doesn't sound exciting. It sounds painful. But it's so important that we talk about pain. And it's really important that we talk about pain because it's common to each of us in varying degrees throughout our lives. All of us in this room, every single one of us, will fit into at least one of three separate categories. Either you've been through pain, you are going through pain, or you will go through pain. Now, those things are inevitable. You might be going through all three of those right now. But every one of us will belong in at least one of those three categories. It's unavoidable. Some people say there's only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. I think there's actually four. Death, taxes, pain, and St Kilda will never win a premiership. And those last two, those last two are very painfully intertwined. But we need to have a proper understanding of pain and suffering because it's part of the human condition. Pain comes in all different types, emotional pain, physical pain, relational pain, even spiritual pain. All of us will go through it, but I think what the Bible tells us, one of the things that I'm so encouraged by, is it tells us that even when we go through pain, we never go through it alone. And so the first thing I want to say today is this, that God understands our pain. In the passage, Peter reminds the exiles in verse 3 that Jesus died. And we know that he died a pretty horrific death, a painful death. In verse 11, he reminds them that the prophets of old predicted the sufferings of Christ, the Son of God, God in human form. They pointed to a time where Jesus would suffer incredibly. You know, I've thought recently about world religions, a lot of stuff going on on the religious landscape. And I thought just this week about the different symbols that represent different religions. Uh, For example, uh, Judaism, they have the Star of David. You can probably picture the star. It's kind of this intertwined looking kind of star. And it actually represents strength and connection. Uh, Islam, they have the uh, crescent and the star. And so, you know, the little crescent on the side and the star up in the corner there. And it's meant to represent um, strength and the presence of the divine. Hinduism, they have what they call the Omkar. It kind of looks like a little scroll written in Sanskrit. And it presents something that is fluid and different to other religions. Buddhism, they have the symbol of the lotus flower. And the lotus flower is meant to represent growth and the unfolding of self. What's Christianity's symbol? Not a trick question. The cross. Christianity, at the very center, we have a symbol, and the symbol is the cross. And all of these other symbols of different religions are you know, meant to be inspiring, and they represent strength and, and whatever. But Christianity has a symbol, a Roman cross, which represents shame and punishment pain and suffering and it's a reminder that our God understands pain and it's that very same Roman cross that our God hung on 
and he died in our place. God understands pain and we don't ever go through pain alone. A few years ago, The Passion of the Christ was out at the movies and I've mentioned this before, but I had a, I went and saw it myself and then I had a pre-Christian friend who wanted to go and see it. He'd always been pretty antagonistic towards Christianity, but we'd formed a bit of a relationship and he asked if I could take him along to see this movie. So me and another mate went along and we took him with us and we watched the movie and if you've seen it, you know it's pretty graphic and confronting and a pretty full-on kind of movie. It's not the usual rom-coms we're used to in my household uh, where everything turns out good in the end. It was a pretty confronting movie. And my friend, who's usually really vocal, uh, when we got to the end of the movie, instead of saying anything, he just sat there like he was in a trance and he just stared at the big screen for what seemed like an eternity. And after eternity, I thought I'd break the silence. And I asked the question, what did you think? Now, I must admit, I had visions of how this was going to go. Do you know how when circumstances are happening, we sort of visualize what's going to happen? Uh, most of the time, we visualize something negative because we tend to go that way and it usually is better. But this time, I, I visualized something positive and it went worse. So I visualized that he would say, he would sit there and maybe tears would come down his eyes and he'd say, that was incredible, Luke. You know, I can't believe Jesus died for my sins. I can't believe it was my fault he was there. Uh, I've realized in the last two hours that I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so will you pray with me right now and I'll receive Jesus as Lord. And that's the way I hoped it would go. Uh, but I asked him the question and it didn't quite go that way. In fact, he responded by saying, I hated it. Now that threw me. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. What do you say when someone says they hated it? And so after, again, another pause, I said to him, why did you hate it? And he said, because I'm a dad and I have a son. And I can't believe that if God's a God of love, that he put his son through that. I just can't believe that. And so my other mate and I, Gave him some answers and talked through that and he didn't like any of them. He kept saying, no, makes no sense. I can't understand it. Just don't get it. And then God dropped a thought in my head. And I said this. I said, you know, mate, there are many people in this life that are going through horrific pain, all sorts of suffering. Lost a loved one, going through health issues, lost a job, being betrayed by friends, all sorts of stuff. And he said, yeah, I understand that. And he said, I understand that Jesus had to die and I understand he had to die for our sins, but why couldn't God just give him a lethal injection and do the same thing? And I said, well, if God just gave him a lethal injection, how could those people who are suffering and going through such immense pain possibly connect with a God who took the easy way out? The fact that Jesus hung and died on that cross in such a horrific way makes him a relatable saviour makes him someone that we can connect with no matter what we're going through in life. That whatever we go through, we have a God who's experienced our pain at an even greater level. That there is nothing in this life that you will go through that God can't connect with and hasn't first experienced when it comes to pain, relationally, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. Maybe you're here and you've lost a loved one. Well, God knows how you feel. One of the most famous verses in the Bible For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die a horrific death on the cross. He knows what it feels like to lose someone who's precious to you, the most precious person in his life. Jesus himself on on earth lost friends. John the Baptist, his cousin, was beheaded by a king and his head was put on a plate at a dinner party. In John chapter 11, we read the story of Lazarus. When Jesus was told that he was dying, the lady who told him said to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
This was a dear friend of Jesus. And by the time he arrived there, Lazarus was dead. And we get to the shortest verse in the whole Bible, and it just simply says, Jesus wept. He knows what it's like to lose people we love. He knows what it's like to go through physical pain. Maybe today you're here and you're struggling with an illness or a disease, or you've had some sort of accident that's limited you in life. Well, Jesus knows exactly how that feels. You just got to look at the cross and see what he went through. He was beaten severely. He was flogged. His back was whipped over and over again to look like mincemeat. He had a huge nail rammed through his hands and through his feet. He had a crown of thorns shoved into his head till blood dripped down his face. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer physically. He knows what it's like to suffer relationally. Maybe you're here today and you've been let down by friends or family. And it's painful when people do that. People you rely on, people you trust, and they do the wrong thing. Well, guess what? Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. After his arrest, every single friend he had fled. Every single friend deserted him and betrayed him. Not one single mate stuck by him. In fact, Peter, one of his closest three friends, when asked after his arrest if he knew Jesus, if he was one of the disciples three times, he said, I don't know him, never seen him before, wouldn't know him if I tripped over him down the street completely and utterly betrayed. Spiritual pain. Maybe today you feel like God's distant, that your, your prayers kind of bounce off the roof and he doesn't hear them. You might feel like he's let you down or he's left you. Guess what? Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. But at an even greater level on the cross, hanging there, he yelled out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he took all of our sin upon himself. The very sin that separates us from a holy God, every sin we've ever committed, every sin we'll ever commit, all placed on Jesus at the cross in that moment, and he paid our punishment on our behalf, and he was separated from his Father. And in that moment, it said, all of the land went completely black, symbolizing that he was absolutely alone, completely forsaken, separated from his Father for us. In the words of that famous hymn, did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? We have a saviour who understands our pain because he went through it on our behalf. And not only that, but he invites us to follow in his footsteps. Luke verse, chapter 9, verse 23, I have it on my wrist. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. In verse 6 of today's passage, Peter says that for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Jesus in the gospel says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. The Christian life is not an easy life. It's a very difficult life at times. It's not a guarantee of a pain-free existence, but rather an invitation to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, knowing that whatever we go through, He understands and he promises that he will be with us. God understands our pain. But the second thing we need to know about pain is this, that pain produces. And it produces things in our lives. One of my favourite passages is found in Romans chapter um, 5, verse 3. It starts with these words. It says, rejoice in your new house. Rejoice in your fancy car. Rejoice that you're wealthy. Rejoice that you're happy. 
No, no, it says rejoice in your sufferings. Uh, you, you sort of read that and you think that's a misprint, right? Uh, the guy that did the copy and did the editing, he's going to get the sack because that's a howler of a mistake. We rejoice in things that make us happy, that bring us fulfillment and joy. We don't rejoice in our sufferings. Maybe he meant to say rejoice in your surfing. <laughs> Maybe rejoice in your discoveries. Uh, rejoice in something positive. But as we continue to read that passage written by the Apostle Paul, it becomes clear that he means exactly what he writes. That we are to be people who rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings produce in our lives. He says suffering or pain produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. In other words, as we persevere through our pain, we learn to endure. We become stronger in our lives. As we do that, that perseverance starts to produce character. As we go deeper, it forces us deeper. It makes us to become stronger people, to learn about ourselves, to grow in wisdom, to press in and to rely on God. And as that character starts to develop, we become people that we never would have become if we didn't go through that trial. And so even the pain that's so hurtful in the time, it actually produces good things in our life. And as that character grows, uh, we, we develop hope. And it forces us to remind ourselves of the promises of God. You see, we do everything but rejoice in the pain. So often when we're going through a painful time, it's something we suppress. It's something we avoid. It's something we grumble through. It's something we run from. But the Bible presents a different alternative. And the alternative is this, that pain is something that we're to embrace, that we embrace it, that we learn from it, that we grow through it, and that we use it. A few years ago, I had a really difficult experience in the life of a church, and I ended up leaving, and it was very painful. I've got to say that I left disappointed, upset, shattered, really, is the word I'd use. I felt shattered. There was nights that I would be laying in bed or sitting on the couch And I literally couldn't breathe. Uh, I'm just not that sort of person. I've always been a strong person. Nothing really phases me. But I literally couldn't breathe. I just couldn't comprehend and reconcile that people who call themselves Christians could behave the way they did. I just couldn't get my head around it. And over time and through that process, I, I learned so much. I learned to persevere. I learned about repentance. I learned about forgiveness. I learned about grace. I learned a lot about the person I want to be and a heck of a lot about the person I don't want to be. I learned about leadership. And by God's grace, I'm now pastoring a church where I know many of you have had similar and difficult circumstances in church life. And if that's you today and you've been hurt or abused by people you you should be able to trust, I want to say sorry on their behalf. Uh, As church leaders, we don't always get it right. But I really hope and pray that Follow will be a church where that kind of stuff never happens. I really hope that no one ever comes to this church broken and leaves shattered. And if that's your experience with church life, um, prior to this point, I want to say sorry for that. And and I want to acknowledge that I know what that feels like, but that God can use that pain in incredible ways. I look back at that time of my life, and as painful as it was, I wouldn't change a single thing. I've learned to embrace it, to learn from it, to grow through it, and now to use it to minister to people who've gone through a similar thing. And you know what? It's going to be the same for you, no matter what you go through. 
You've lost a loved one or you've got a disease you're struggling with or you've got a broken down relationship or financially you've gone bankrupt or whatever it may be. It's painful, but as you embrace what you're going through and make a decision, I'm going to grow through this and learn through this and God's going to teach me new things and, and develop me as a person, he will take that thing and he will use it as a way of blessing other people that are going through it. You will become a great person of ministry to help people that are struggling in those times for their benefit and for the glory of God. Pain produces. Verse 7 of this passage, it says, These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so here's a question for us this morning. What is the pain producing in your life? Is it growing you? Are you learning new things? Are you learning to rely on God more? Is it making you bitter or is it making you better? God understands our pain. Pain produces great things in our life. And finally this morning, it's the promise that helps us in and through the pain. Just this week on Monday and Tuesday, David Young and I had the privilege of going um, to a seminar that Janine organised for us. It was a suicide intervention first aid training course. Uh, people say, oh, was it enjoyable? Not really. Uh, pretty heavy. Uh, not the sort of thing you enjoy, but certainly very helpful. Um, this message is not a light one, is it? There's some heavy stuff here. But we went to this, uh, this seminar and the whole idea of it was to train people on how to help people that are having suicidal thoughts. Uh, it's the kind of thing you wish you'd never had to be trained for. It's the kind of thing you wish never happened. But the truth is, there are a lot of people in very dark places, a lot of people struggling with, with any reason to go on. So one of the things in the training that they taught us is to, first of all, listen to their story, to hear why they're experiencing what they're experiencing, but eventually to help get them to a turning point. And the turning point is what they called it. It's basically that moment where you see something change, uh, a glimmer of hope come in. And you realize that this, this person has just seen that there's something in their life that they're still living for. The fact that they're talking to you about it shows that they haven't decided to go through with it. So there's something that's stopping them from making that decision. And so it's that glimmer of hope. It might be a husband or a wife or a partner. It might be a um, kid in their life. It might be a hobby or an event they're looking forward to. There's something that's worth living for. And when we read this letter, I think there's a similar thing going on. I think Peter is doing a similar thing. These people would have been discouraged and incredibly afraid. Perhaps they were thinking that God had abandoned them, that their hope, their situation was hopeless. But Peter shows them in this letter the exact opposite, that you're not abandoned, but the, tr- the opposite is true, that you're actually chosen. It's an incredible thing to know that you're chosen. In verse 1, the letter's addressed to God's elect. In verse 2, it says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. I love this, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. In other words, God knows everything about us. He knows how many hairs are on our head. It's easier for some than others. Uh, He knows everything about us. He knows all the strengths in our lives, the things we're good at, you know, the things that we've succeeded in, the way that we, we honor and love him and serve him. But on the other side of the coin, he knows every weakness in our life. He knows the things we think. He knows the motivation of our hearts. He knows the things that happen when no one else is watching. He knows all of our weaknesses, all of our failures, all the ways we fall short of our own standard, let alone his. He knows all of that about us, um, but according to his foreknowledge, despite all that stuff, 
These people were chosen. It's incredible. That's the grace of God. They were chosen by him. And so Peter, in this letter, acknowledges their circumstances. You know, some people, Christians, just want to pretend everything's great in life. We never have any problems and just rock up. And as long as I smile, I can get through an hour on the weekend and life's good and my marriage is falling apart and my kid just, you know, made some bad decisions and bankrupt. But hey, life's really good. And that's what church is. That's not what church is. We want to be real. We want to be transparent. We want to journey and help and pray for one another in those times. We need to be honest with one another. And Peter acknowledges their circumstances, but he encourages them to lift their eyes above the circumstances to a greater reality. And the greater reality is the promises of God. And he highlights that they're not only chosen, but in verse 3, they're born again into a living hope. Isn't that a wonderful thought, isn't it? Every other world religion bases themselves around a person who's now dead. We base ourselves around a person who's alive. Jesus rose from the dead. He is a living hope, which means that he's here in the present to help us no matter what we're going through. Jesus is a living hope. Verse 4 says we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 that what we're going through are light and momentary troubles that are producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, we know that some of the stuff we go through is not light and momentary in our perspective. It's big. It can be life-lasting. But in the light of eternity, this is a drop in the ocean. In the light of eternity, it's light and momentary compared to what God has prepared for us. That's the hope we have, that no matter what we go through, God has promised that when Jesus returns, every bit of pain and suffering, every tear will be wiped from our eyes and we will spend eternity in the presence of God as he planned it to be. I think I'm the only one excited about that here. But let me tell you, that is great news. That's the gospel, that whatever you're going through now, it's temporary. And we have something that's eternal in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful hope. Verse 5, it says, through faith in the present, we're shielded by God's power. So when we're going through the difficult times, we have God's help. Verse 8, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 12, it says, even angels long to look into these things. It's incredibly good news. This letter acknowledges the pain, but it's jam-packed full of promise. It causes us to lift our eyes from the present to see the eternal. It reminds us that we have a someone, a something, and a somewhere that's so much greater than this life. And so I want to finish by encouraging you today that whatever you're going through, God understands your pain, that your pain is producing something great in your life and that the promises of God remind us that the someone is Jesus, the something is relationship with God and the somewhere we long for is heaven. That's our hope, that's our future, that's our destiny in Christ.